we're here to worship Him. And we know that we're not just here to learn you know, about God, but to know Him more. So Holy Spirit is working already. And uh, we're going to spend some time in prayer. And I'm going to do a good old classic uh, moment of silence and just let you pray. And we're going to corporately pray by just, just ask God to do whatever He wants to do with you this morning. We're just saying about the judge has become our defense. And maybe this morning, it's that line that God kind of works in you. And you're just blown away by the fact that your judge is the very one who came to save you. The very one who decided to love you. And uh, we're just going to ask for the Lord to do whatever He is so pleased to do in, in our hearts together, corporately and individually. So let's just pray. Um, and I'm just going to, just for a minute or two, just let there be silence in the room. If you can just pray or whatever, and then I'll pray at the end of that. And then uh, we'll go into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4-6. through 6. So let's just spend some time in prayer. Just ask God to work. Father God, I ask that You would help us to reject any notion that would have us think that we are here by accident and embrace the truth that You have us here on purpose this morning. You brought us here safely through the snow. And as we gather around Your Word, we want to hear what You have to say and respond in the way You want us to respond. Thank you for bringing us here. It's just a privilege to be able to worship you. Holy Spirit, help. As I get in to teach this truth from your word this morning, help me to be faithful to it. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. I pray for unity in this room. Holy Spirit, just work. We trust and know that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to need some help from uh, some pseudo-geologists out there. There is a rock in this area that looks really ugly on the outside, but if you crack it, it opens up and it reveals the beauty within. What's that rock called? Geode. Okay. You didn't know you were going to get a science lesson this morning. A geode is an, an interesting rock because on the outside it looks really ugly, and on the inside it looks beautiful. And this morning, we're going to be talking about spiritual blessings in Christ. Um, and often, we can read past a scripture and, and just see it as a geode and miss the beauty within. 
by either going past it too quickly or either not consider either going back past it too quickly or not considering the truth that's in it. And so I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there. Verses 4 through 6. And if we don't hover and spend some time on it, I think we can miss some of the beauty within. So the next few weeks, three or four weeks, we're going to be talking about these spiritual blessings. Last week was kind of our sort of our diving board into the spiritual blessings in Christ. If you remember uh, that God has not held back on us anything, that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for those who are in Christ, that God is not withheld. He's not dangling a carrot and saying, if you'll try harder, if you'll work harder, if you'll just go to church more, if you'll read your Bible more, that He has lavished His grace upon us through the work of Jesus on our behalf. And so if we are in Christ, everything that is in Christ is counted as ours. And God has not. He is a good, good Father who has lavished His grace on us, His blessings upon us. He's poured them over us. And just when we think we've got all the blessings that we're ever going to receive from Christ, uh, we come up for breath and we see that this wave of grace again just crashes over us. And God is just so gracious to us to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming at us. And I think this morning we're going to get another wave of that grace. Look with me at verses 4 through 6. Actually, I'll just start at verse 3. And uh, as you remember, this is one whole sentence, verses 3 to 14. So we'll just read this. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, for the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved." Now, if you consider each one of these blessings, kind of that geode, uh, then in each one of these geodes or blessings that we have in Christ this morning, the word predestination, there is something in that geode that if, if we crack it open, if the Holy Spirit comes and helps us break that open, then there's something that's going to be in that spiritual blessing, something that's going to be praiseworthy. Because if you remember the point of this whole sentence is that it would evoke praise within us, that we would respond to this sentence and we would just blurt out to the praise of your glorious grace. That we would not be able to stand not praising God. This is the whole point of the sentence. Three times we see Paul say this, that this is all for, in verse 5, or excuse me, 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. And then another time in verse 12, it's to be to the, we are to be to the praise of His glory. And then in verse 14, we see that all of this is to the praise of His glory. So something in this spiritual blessing, if it can be cracked open, we're going to find some things in there, some nuggets that's going to help us to scream out, not just from our mind, but from our heart, God, you deserve all praise and glory. There's going to be something here for us to discover. Okay. Now, I'm, as we talk about predestination, I want to do a few caveats to begin with. And I don't in any way want to apologize for talking about this because, again, we're, we're, not, we're not talking in, in the big words and people get to dialogue about this. Uh, the big words are Calvinism and Arminianism. And we are not discussing that this morning. That is not in the discussion. The discussion this morning is Ephesians chapter 1. So if we get into a point where we start to kind of run you know, theological arguments back and forth, we're going to be responding to this passage in a wrong way because the point of the passage is to evoke praise, not arguments. And so if we run too quickly to just theological dialogue, we miss the entire point. The point is worship. 
And that's where we're going to be this morning, is worship. So there may be some disagreements on how we understand that, and that's okay as long as we're worshiping Jesus together. Does that make sense? Let me, let me say some of these caveats. Uh, there are a couple mistakes I think that we can make, two errors that, that I want to avoid this morning. Two errors that I want to avoid. Um, hey guys, it looks like you're going to be in the front row. So just right up front and center. Good morning. Let me move my coat here. All right. We made it. They made it. You made it. You're safe. Made it through the snow. So as we go through the book of Ephesians, and this is what we're doing just to bring you up to speed, we're walking through the book of Ephesians, uh, and I think there's two errors that we can avoid, two errors that people often walk in. Number one, uh, number one error that we want to avoid, we do not want to shape the love of God in our own image. Everyone loves God's love. Is anybody in here who just say, man, I just wish God was not loving? No, I mean, everybody loves the love of God. People in the world who at least just on a baseline level agree that there's some deity out there, there's some, some God, even if they just embrace intelligent design, they want to think about and talk about the love of God. And see, when we start talking about the love of God, each one of us has this image of the love of God, and the love of God begins to be shaped. Okay, We start to shape the love of God. And if you were to ask any two people about the love of God uh, and say, hey, what, tell me what the love of God is like you would probably get two, maybe similar, but you would have two answers that would be at least, in some particular way, different. The love of God has a shape in the minds and the hearts of people. And if you begin to ask them about it, that, that shape, the shape of that love begins to come out. And what we want to avoid is defining God's love in the way we think God should love. And an alternative way, the right way, is for us to come to the Scriptures and let the Bible shape the love of God for us. So the Bible is going to, this morning, give shape to the love of God. In love, God has done something. It's going to begin to take shape. And we want to make sure that our definition of God's love is not more what we think loving than God's definition than God's love. We want to make sure that we are as close to the biblical definition of God's love as possible. So let's lay down our version together, and let's pick up what the Bible says that, that God's love is like. Does that make sense? Okay. Now again, some, for some of us, we may still see some things differently, and that's okay. Uh, verse 2 provides the second error for us to avoid. Not verse 2, excuse me, verses 4 and 5. It says this, four words, in love, he predestined. In love, he predestined. Okay. Now, these two words represent uh, typically what happens at two different arguments. Uh, and, and the first word is in love. And, and this is the group of people who we just get the aforementioned group who love talking about the love of God. They love the love of God. And, and then there's this other group of people who like the words and gravitate to the words, he predestined. And they love he predestined. And these two words, I'm going to kind of symbolize as two different groups. They're the God's love people and God's sovereignty people. Okay, And this morning, we want to be as balanced as possible to hold both of these truths together. But here's what happens. God's love people bump up against words like, in love, he predestined, and they'll start talking about balance. They'll start talking about, uh, yes, there's some mystery there, but in reality, uh, they feel uncomfortable about the word predestined, especially putting it together with the word love. Okay, And then tensions rise, and everybody freaks out, and argument, and there's tears. Um <laughs> Then there's these people over here, and I have to admit that this has been the camp I've been in for a long time, and I've done a lot of, lot of damage because of it. 
Okay? There's this word predestined and love God's sovereignty and God's sovereignty and God's, and, and yet feel almost uncomfortable with talking about God's love. And when we get to passages like Ezekiel 18, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, but really, I think he might. Okay? And this morning, the idea is we want to lay down philosophical ideas of, of how these things may or may not work, and we want to embrace the mystery that God sets before us. Because this morning, the Scriptures are going to just tear us out of any box. It's going to just rip us out of any box. And it's going to make us, maybe, I don't know, feel uncomfortable, but it's going to press us to say, you know what, I've got to be okay with mystery. I have to be. And, and I'm going to be okay with, with stepping out of the box that says, I've got this figured out one way or the other. God's love. Yes, He is love. Or no, God's sovereign. He predestines. Yes, God's sovereign. And I'm going to step in the mystery and say, you know what? The Bible teaches a lot of things. And I want to embrace, even if it walks me down a road of, of being able to say, you know what? I know for certain that God is mysterious. That's the certainty that I'm going to hold on to. That's the objectivity I'm going to hold on to. That his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are greater than my thoughts. And so I don't want to reject anything that the scripture teach, teaches clearly on anything. Because often what people say, well, that's just unclear. It's, it's unbelievably clear. It's just a little bit confusing how it can be both. Okay? So we're going to dive into some things uh, that are, are pretty wonderful. So those two errors. Then I want to make some affirmations because as we talk about in love, he predestined. This is like the third time I've ever preached on this in my life. Uh, and the first time I, I feel um, uh, that I, I hopefully am not just way out of whack and out of balance. I don't know. Uh, but let me give these affirmations, and I think this is going to be helpful as we move forward, talking about the word predestination. Number one, humans make real, real choices. Okay, so the Bible is clear. There's human decision everywhere. Okay, that's, it's just all over the Bible. Humans make decisions. Uh, if uh, you repent, God says in Jeremiah, God tells Nineveh, if you repent, I'll relent. If you don't, I'll destroy you. If they wouldn't have repented, there would have been destruction. Okay, just decisions are everywhere. Um, you, you just can't deny that. Human choices are real. Second affirmation I want to make is that predestination is not at odds with uh, repenting and believing the gospel. If, if you don't repent and believe the gospel, you can't be a Christian. It's as simple as that. The scriptures are, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for remission of your sins. That, that repentance and faith in Christ is necessary. Okay, So uh, when we talk about predestination, you have to know that the scriptures also teach in repentance and faith. So these things are not at odds with each other. Uh, another thing is that uh, predestination, number three, pre third affirmation, predestination is not fatalism. Uh, the mentality that can be walked away with is, well, if everything's fixed and our choices don't matter and blah, 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 blah. You've heard this before, right? In your arguments that you've had or your discussions that you've had, and, and maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't had these discussions. Um, but what we're talking about today is not fatalism uh, because God is sovereign and somehow choices are real and they matter. And that's the mystery. Okay? It's just that's how it is. Um, and again, we see this all through the scriptures. Number four, uh, fourth affirmation is evangelism is necessary. Uh, Paul, after this chapter of Romans 9, goes to Romans 10 and calls for uh, preachers to go forth. How are they going to hear the How are they going to know the gospel if there's no preachers that are sent to them? And so faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. And so as we begin to talk about the spiritual blessing, we want to keep these things in you know in proper balance. So evangelism is necessary. Uh, and then the next thing, fourth, fifth, whatever number I'm on, uh, biblical theology is clearly mysterious, as stated before. Human philosophy keeps God in a box, 
Biblical theology is so superior to that because it's going to come down this philosophical line and this philosophical line, and somehow or another, God in His power and His goodness is going to bring these railroad tracks and just squeeze them together and put them right here and just demand from us. We just say, God, you, I have no idea, but you're incredible. This, I don't know how this is all true, but it is, and I trust you. And uh, last, um, last thing I want to say is that we don't have to all agree on this. Uh, there may be some disagreements, and that is okay. Now, this is not going to be a divisive issue for us. Um, and so, just I feel like I needed to put all those caveats in there to cover bases, and I know people from different church backgrounds and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but the point is this. It's a spiritual blessing, what we're going to be talking today, and it shouldn't evoke arguments. It should evoke worship. Okay? We good? So is everybody not freaked out now? Hopefully. Hopefully we're not freaked out now. All right. Now, to finally get into this. Oh, yeah, and one last phrase that I learned from Andy. Unity is better than uniformity. Okay, so we all don't have to be walking around, you know, clones around here. Like, okay, yeah, Maria says yay. Okay, so that's good. Uh, okay, now look with me at verse 4a, and I'm going to start in verse 3 again. Even though I've read it, I'm just going to keep reading it again because I, I want you to see it as a part of a whole. Remember, Paul starts the sentence with praise. He models for us what he hopes by the power of the Holy Spirit is evoked in us. He models it for us by saying, Blessed be the God and Father, or praise be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So there it is, the first blessing, spiritual blessing, we are going to look at. The, the text says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now this is a pretty remarkable truth, and it's, it's really, really clear. It's, simply to, it's, it's simple to see He chose us before the foundation of the world, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, I want you to just ask yourself for, for a second, what if that's really true? Okay? What if God chose you to be in Christ before the foundation of the world? Um, what if His choice of you wasn't motivated by your cho choice of Him? Just what if? Let's just say that's true. Okay? Because maybe this geode begins in the very beginning to be cracked open. What if you being in Christ was about God's Free choice, and he just said, Maria, you're going to be my daughter. Jared, you're going to be my son. James, you're going to be my son. W what if God did that? Okay? Now let's just think about it for a minute. Then the answer to the question, why, why am I a Christian? Why am I in Christ? The answer to that has to be then, well, God. God is the reason. If Okay, hold on a second. If God chose me before I was born, then that means the reason I'm in Christ is because of God. Right? And we don't want to just run down these because you can get in a crazy deal here. Just I want you to think on that for a second. I, I want you to go real quick. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 27. The Old Testament talks about God choosing Israel. He chose a nation for Himself. And I just want you to see this really quickly. I'm going to read this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6. Uh, here's what it says as you're turning there. You can go ahead and turn there. Because we're going to start getting into the love of God. The love of God. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. God speaking to Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. 
out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you are more in number than any other of the people that the Lord said his uh, more than excuse more in number than any other people that his Lord that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Two reasons are given. Reason number one, that God chose Israel because he loved them. Well, why did he love them? Well, because he loved them. And he was keeping his promise to the forefathers. Uh, When we talk about God's choices, we have to realize that God has a free will. That God can make some decisions. And God can choose to do what God wants to do. And apparently, he wanted to choose Israel. He made a decision. They're going to be my people. I'm pulling out. I want a possession for myself, and I'm choosing them. And the first reason given is just simply because he loves them. And this is where we begin to talk about the love of God, what's really remarkable. Um, Are you okay with God just deciding to love you? For no other reason but the fact that God has said, I love you. Why, God, why? I just do. Because I want to. Because I love you. But no, God, why do you love me? What's the reason you love me? Is it because I'm greater in number? Is it because I'm better? Is it because I'm more handsome or pretty? Is it because I'm of greater value to you than anybody else? No, I just love you. I just love you. This is so weird because in the world, and this is what we talk about unconditional love, the world doesn't have a framework for unconditional love. We talk about it. Like, well, we unconditionally love our kids, but they're your kids. That's the condition. If they weren't your kids, you wouldn't love them. You know, you just say, you know, I don't know. They're like, isn't it harder to love everybody else's kids? You know? Like, you love your own kids because they're your kids. That's the condition. But here, here, this is, I love you because I love you. That, that is, that, that's the source of unconditional love that God has decided to love. He, he's made a free decision to love. And I want to say this because I think unintentionally we can be more comfortable with human decisions than we are with God's decisions. If we're not careful, we, we can be really, really passionate about human free will, but really uncomfortable but with, with God's free will. And the Bible's going to come and blow up these philosophical notions because, honestly, uh, Hollywood, Eve, everybody, every human loves the idea of free will. They love the idea. And again, I've already affirmed, human decisions matter. We make real choices. I'm not saying that we don't, okay? But for some reason, there is a discomfort with God having a free will. And I want us to be careful that we're not more comfortable with my decisions than we are with God's decisions. So here we're told that God, God he makes some choices. He makes some decisions. And if God clearly says that I've made some decisions, let's be okay with that. Again, how do we understand that? We may understand it differently, but I think we can all agree that God gets to make some choices. He, he is free to do what, with his pleasure whatever he wants to do. Okay, so God made a choice. He chose Israel. So this is not some new kind of weird kind of like Paul says some things, and, and, but Jesus is kind of out of the loop, and the Old Testament God's out of the loop. This is a, this is a uniform deal in, in Scripture where the Bible is going to reveal about God that God makes some choices. Okay, And God has decided to choose Israel, and we're told here this first spiritual blessing that He chose us in Him before the foundation 
of the world. So again, now let me go back to that initial question. What if that's true? What if that's true? That God chose you to be a Christian, that He set His affections on you before you were born. What? Okay, it, again, the geode. And it may remain a geode. It may, that's, that's fine. Okay, Because there's a lot of Christians who, uh, disagree. again, it's, it's, it's fine. We, not everybody has to agree. I can't say that enough. Um, but at least consider that the point of this is praise. So there must be some nugget of truth in him choosing us before the foundation of the world that can be seen that we respond and say, wow, God, thank you. You do. I, praise be to your name. And I think that may be it to be able to stand back and say, God didn't choose me because I did something that evoked a choice in Him. He chose to do something for me in love. Him choosing me because of my choice of Him makes a whole lot of sense. Doesn't it? God choosing me because I chose Him first, that makes a lot of sense. That just seems natural. Like, of course, God would choose me because I chose Him. But if God chose me while I was yet a sinner, then we're talking about something pretty remarkable. If God chose me when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, if God chose me before I was even born, then we're talking about a pretty radical love. At least otherworldly. Okay? So first we see that. But we weren't just chosen that we could uh, kind of marvel in that or sit in that. The Bible says that he, he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world for a reason. And that reason, we're going to get two reasons for God's choice. The first one given is that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And this is the first kind of response that we should have, not just praise, but we should have the fact that God chose us in Him before, the, in Christ before the foundation of the world is that we should want to be holy and blameless. God has made us holy and blameless in Christ, or at least counted us holy and blameless in Christ, meaning that if you're in Christ, there's no sin that, he, that is withheld against you. There's no wrath coming your way. You are holy and blameless in His sight, counted holy and blameless in His sight. But here's what God is beginning to work in us. He is making us actually holy. That it's not just a simple declaration over us. I say simple because it's not simply simple. It's really complex. But it's not just this declaration that, Andy, you're a forgiven man and you're counted righteous. But for all those he imputes righteousness to or give righteousness to, he begins through the power of the Holy Spirit to work righteousness in. So we begin to be transformed in the image of Christ or into the image of Christ. That we begin to be shaken out of our self-centered lives and we begin to look like talk like over a period of our lives as we're stumbling forward in our life, right? I mean, it's not this like, you get saved and all of a sudden I'm actually holy and righteous before Him. But this regenerated heart, the Holy Spirit begins to work in and putting to death the old self and bringing to life the new self. There's a concern for holiness. And I ask you today, do you care about holiness at all? Do you care about warring against your own sin? Do you care about reminding yourself that sin in which I committed today, Christ died for? I can't keep doing that. It was my sin that put Him there. Holy Spirit, help me. Gathering people around you that this holy and blameless declaration over you becomes actual in you where you desire it. It's like a dog who sees a dog treat. You're like, ah, you freak out. you got to have it, right? It's like my son when he sees a donut. Donut, I want it, donut. We're holiness, we want it. God, bring it! And I don't much what about you, but uh, imagine God freeing you more and more from your sin. Is there not joy in thinking about that? Like, yeah, I'll have some of that. Holy and blameless in His sight. It keeps going. 
It's not just that. It gets pretty remarkable. Um, as the love of God begins to sh- take shape, it brings us back to this word predestined. In love. In love. In love. In love. God predestined us. In Again, we all love God's love. Get this, because if you love God's love, when the, God's love begins to take shape, we, we start to see like, wait a second, maybe there's something there I've not seen before. In love, God predestined you. God is a loving Father. And in love, He decided to have you as His own. He decided before the foundation of the world to act. We've learned from DC Talk years ago that love is a verb. (laughs) DC Talk makes a reference in my sermon for some reason, like every fifth sermon it comes in. (laughs) God's love moves and it's effective and it's working and He sends His love out. It's not stagnant. He takes action. And here's where I think the rub begins. I think when we talk about God's love and Him predestining, because it feels so opposite. God, if, if you love, then you would predestine everyone, and then you go down the road. And um, If you chose us, it's, it's not saying, because there's a particularness about here. It's God, you, you, if, if you really love, if, if in love, He predestined the world, it should say. Like that would seem like a better definition of God's love than just predestining us, wouldn't it? It's like we would think we start to come up with with what would seem like okay, a little bit better definitions or more palpable maybe. Um, and yet the the love of God it's starting to take shape. And Charles Spurgeon's going to help us out with this a little bit. And um, he's really helpful in understanding these dynamics and being able to again just walk walk in the mysteries of God and mysteries of the Scripture. Um, so the objection comes, yeah, he's loving to me, but that doesn't sound like he's loving to others. What about the unsaved? That's great for us to get in here and talk about that, but I'm concerned for the unsaved, which I am too. I want more and more people to be gathered in. I want more and more people to know him. And by the way, if you don't, then the call for you this morning is to repent and believe the gospel. And if you do, you can know him. Really. Again, these aren't at odds. Like, you, if, you, if you want God this morning, you can have him. And you know what? You'll find in Jesus a Savior who will have you. That's good news. He's a Savior who will have you. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. But there are some who say, it's hard for God to choose some and leave others. Now I would ask you one question. Is there any one of you here this morning who wishes to be holy? Who wishes to be saved? To leave off sin and walk in holiness? Yes, there is, says someone. I do. Then God has elected you. But another says, no, I don't want to be holy. I don't want to give up my lusts and my vices. Well, then why should you grumble then that God has not elected you to it? For if you were elected to it, you would not like it, according to your own confession. If God this morning had chosen you to holiness, you say you would not care for it. Do you not acknowledge that you prefer drunkenness to sobriety, dishonesty to honesty? You love this world's pleasures better than Christ. Then why should you grumble that God has not chosen you to Christ? If you love Christ, He has chosen you to it. If you desire Him, He has chosen you to it. If you do not, 
what right do you have to say that God ought to have given you that which you do not wish for? It plays it out like this. Do you want Jesus? Then have Him. If you don't, don't. Now, doesn't that sound like human choices? <laughs> like, sounds like, yes, we, our cho- choices matter. Decisions matter. And so, we can't, uh, we can't just flatten out our, our theology or call, call our philosophy theology. We want biblical theology to shatter all that and bring us into the beauty and the wonder of these spiritual blessings. Like, yeah, God, let's, uh, let's have you evoke some praise in us today. Let's blow our minds this morning. You know, like, kids do that thing, mind blown thing, you know, like, you know, like that thing. Uh, I don't know why, but maybe this morning our mind, our hearts, everything, we're just like, God, thank you. I've never seen that as a spiritual blessing this morning before. And it goes like this. Uh, there, there's two questions and objections that come up in, in, in talking about predestination. And uh, Romans 9 addresses those. And the two questions are, well, doesn't that make God unjust? And here's the answer back. Absolutely not. So if God chooses to save some, it doesn't make God unjust. That's, that's the answer we get. And as much as we want to say, well, yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And again, you, we can understand it differently. But Paul says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit leads us into that. The second question is, after he says, so I have mercy on whom I have mercy, I, I harden whom I want to harden, uh, the question he anticipates is, you will say to me then, why does God still find fault? Which is the first question we all ask. Why does God still find fault then? And here's what Paul says. Who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Shall the potter, does he not have right over the clay? Now you feel the tension. Now we feel it. Don't strip me. Don't strip me of my free, completely utter will. Don't tell me, God, that you can do some things that I can't stop. Very next chapter. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's true. I don't know how both are true, but they are. Anyone who wants Jesus can have Him. Anyone. Anyone in this city who will repent and believe can have Him. But this word predestination, it goes on because it says we're predestined for something. And it's not just that we're predestined to being holy and blameless. That would be wonderful enough. But there's some other jewel in this geode. And it's this word adoption. Because God makes it really personal. And it's almost as if in this sentence, He's wanting to communicate His fatherly affection toward us. Because here's what He does. He says, In Him you were in love. He predestined us for what? For adoption. For adoption of sons. We want to talk about sonship and being a daughter of God, being a son of God. There's a pathway to get there. And it comes through love and predetermining that love to give it to you. And then comes adoption. That God has brought you into His family. It's not just that He has made you holy and blameless. And then there's this, this static declaration that just says, oh, they're holy and blameless and that's it. No, now we are in relationship with our Father. That we have a, a good Father who is taking care of us that we can trust with all circumstances, even when it snows, even when one of our pastors can't come, even with, God, don't you know Andy's getting ordained today? 
Like, wouldn't it be really good, God, if you would have held that snow back? We can trust Him. We can trust Him even when it snows out. We have a Father who is in charge and has everything in our life that may affect our life on a leash to His good purposes in our life where, where nothing is going to press too much. And, and if there's the pressure, it's going to be for our godliness. It's going to be for our holiness. It's going to be to drive us into Himself for just more love and care. and just this is We're predestined to be sons and daughters, not just predestined to be forgiven. It's deeply personal. That's why people down through the centuries have come to passages like this. And brothers and sisters in Christ have seen it different. And some look at, at, at one group of people who are like completely obsessed and you know way out of balance and just freaking out about this kind of stuff and the passages like this. They wonder why are there, why is there why are they like they've they, by God's grace, there's things just experiencing the love of God. And wanting to see the geode, like, oh, step into mystery and out, out of our boxes, if, if this makes sense, or this makes sense, and step into, as we talked about last week, Avatar, the beauty of the swirls and the colors, just God's grace, that just, it's just unbelievable, and it's just remarkable. He, God the Father, has walked into an orphanage called Depravity, and said, Greg, let's go. You're mine. Walked into this orphanage of depravity, of people not even want orphans that didn't even want out. And he came to these orphans who didn't even want out and showed them his beauty first. And when they saw his beauty, they came running into his arms. And you and I, brothers and sisters, that's our Father has single-handedly redeemed us. He's rescued us from the pit. And that's why we chanted last week, let the redeemed say so, because we've tasted and seen that God is good. He, our Father, has rescued His sons and His daughters. He became sin for us, but also Jesus on the cross for us to become sons. There was a relational, somehow or another, fracture. He became as not a son that we could become sons and daughters. You see Jesus in agony in the garden crying out, blood coming from His head. And for the first time in the history of everything, there is relational conflict between Him and His Heavenly Father. There's relational conflict because all of a sudden, Jesus, although He remains sinless, is counted as a rebel. And the pleasure of His Father was no longer on Him. But the pleasure of the Heavenly Father was transferred to us. And this is what God predetermined for us. The pleasure of the God of the universe would rest upon you. The pleasure that He's not just tolerating you, the pleasure... The declaration, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased that it would come to you. If I planned, if Jordan and I lost our minds and, and created a, and wanted to go to take our kid to Disney World, because Disney World is horrendous, but kids love it. Um, and we planned this trip, this extravagant vacation for our son, Ransom. And we planned it and we didn't let him in on it. 
and it came the day of vacation, and we said, hey, buddy, we're going to take you to Disney World. What if he threw his hands in his pocket and said, how dare you not tell me about this? You're just withholding on me. You should have let me in on this. I could have been planning and packing. How dare you keep me in the dark? How dare you plan good things for me and withhold them from me until you saw fit? <laughs> no, I mean, he's like, <gasps> Disney World, you know, like, he'd lose his mind. You don't know what Disney World is right now. He'd lose his mind. God is predetermined to do some good things for you. And I think as we begin to look at these spiritual blessings, hopefully by God's grace, that the, the thunder of God's Word comes down and like a lightning bolt and it cracks into this eternal-sized geode and it opens up for us and we just like, oh, there's beauty and oh, man, that the Holy Spirit worked that in us. This was His will. Look at verse 5. Adoption through Jesus Christ according to his, the purpose of His will. My goodness. Uh, Andy, go ahead and come up. We're almost done. This was God's will to create a family. God desired a family. He would not just settle for forgiven people. He had to have sons and daughters. And the pathway to get sons and daughters was that He was going to decide to have a family. And God has chosen to have a family. And He has chosen you to be a part of His family. And if all this is true, let's go back to the two that we looked at this twice. If this is true then we have a lot to thank Him for. And if you're here and you don't know Him, you can have Him this morning. Repent and believe. I wrote five things, five reasons this is a blessing this morning. Because I tried to personalize this to myself too. Because I don't ever want to just be theoretical and we just, okay, now we know predestination and we're not arguing about it. That's great. Because again, I don't want to argue about it. That's not the point. We want to worship. This is not about arguing. If you say, Jared, I see it differently, praise God. I'm glad. Let's worship together. Um, I wouldn't say I'm glad, but if you see it differently, that is from my heart. It's okay, as long as we worship Jesus together. Here's five reasons I think this is a blessing. Number one, it strips away my pride. If God chose me because of my choice of Him, then I get that, and I can get some credit for His choice of me. Just a little bit. God, thank You for choosing me because I chose You. So I can give a hundred excuse me, 99 out of 100 high fives and hugs to God, but I can give one to myself. And this, I finally find unconditional love. I finally find a free love given to me, not based on me. And you know what? If I fail tomorrow, this free love, not in the like 1970s way free love. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why. I go and ruin sermons like that. Sorry. Um, God freely has loved you. And it's not because of you. It's because He's special. Not because of you. It's because He's that extravagant. Secondly, grace is finally grace. I finally found something that's unmerited. It's unmerited. Unmerited favor in this truth, this nugget, this geoid of God's choices and God's predetermining work. I found unmerited favor. Number three, my Heavenly Father has had me on His mind since before time began. If you doubt His present care for you, His affections for you started before the universe created, was created. If you think in a moment, God, do you not love me? You look back to eternity past and you remember that God in His heart determined, you're my daughter. 
Before you were born, I loved you. You're my son. Before you were born, I've loved you. You doubt that I will love you or care for you tomorrow? You doubt that I will love you and care for you in a year? I've had my affections set on you forever. Number four, if predestination were not true, then everyone would be in hell. Because if God had not chosen me, I would have never chosen Him. That's the component. The world, the sinful condition of the world is this. Nobody wants God. Fortunately, God wants sinners. Number five, it's a blessing because it strips us. It does not strip us of real choices. It's a blessing because anybody who wants Him, as previously stated, and I've said that phrase a bunch this morning, if you want Him, Jesus will have you this morning. This message is for anybody. Last pastor uh, that I got to work with, he said something that was really, really neat, I thought. He said this, We walk through a door that says this, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We walk through that door, and we see it, and it's true, and it's right. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we get on the other side of that door, we look over, and, and it says this. It says, You did not choose me, I chose you. And this morning, let's just worship together. Say, Jared, you're way off on this. Okay, can we worship together? Let's do that. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for we thank you for your love for us, that you predetermine good for us, and you have the ability to carry it out. I cannot make my plans for this week to happen the way I want them to happen, but you can make your eternal plans happen. And you, 2,000 years ago, saved me. And then, in sometime around the summer of 1989, you walked into 606 Carbon Street, Marion, Illinois, to a little boy. And you said, Buddy, I've been thinking about you forever. Will you come and be my son today? And you call me to be your own. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for your love, your compassion, your mercy. And I want to respond. I'm a people for your own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies. We're just going to do that this morning. Help us in one voice to worship you for your unmerited grace that you have freely and extravagantly given. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As the Holy Spirit leads, you can come forward, you can pray, you can do whatever. After this song, we'll receive communion. Just enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. Let's worship Him.